Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I am the editor and publisher of theweeklydriver.com, and I am an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group. My friend and colleague is Bruce Aldrich, and today, Bruce, just as a way of mentioning this, is our 100th episode. So here's to us. Is it really 100? It's 100. I, I don't it know how It seems like 10. seems like 10. It goes by in a flash. But today we have on for our 100th episode guest, um, a, a man I met just last week. Uh, he was part of the Monterey Auto Week uh, memorabilia area, and it was great to, to meet uh, Robert Carter. Uh, and his website is Robert Carter Artwork. And when you go into the memorabilia area or other shows, um, he has some very striking, very vivid artwork of cars, um, automotive events, so on and so forth. So, Robert, um, thanks again for uh, taking the time. And we've met now three times, once in person and twice on the phone. So welcome to our program. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, pleased to be here and uh, to see what we can uh, do telling you about my paintings over the years. Yes. Could you could you start again, uh, if you wouldn't mind, and uh, I know the story, but how you ended up in Chico uh, as a younger man, I should say, and um, how it came about that you ended up in this in this field? Well, I'd been, I started in this field, I was like 15 years old, wanted to get out of school, was interested in cars and motorcycles. I was lucky I got a job in an apprentice in an art studio in London. Uh, I really wanted to paint cars and motorbikes when you're 15 years old. You don't get to pick what you're doing as an apprentice. So I ended up with like Johnson & Johnson baby powder and Butoni ravioli and Rothman cigarette packs. <laughs> but it does give you the basics of how to paint and how to letter and line illustration and the whole process. Yes. So I did that for a lot of years over there. Uh, I was always interested in motorcycle touring. So I'd done a lot of Europe. And so it's time to go to America. Uh, after a while, I came over here and I built an old BSA 441 Victor and fixed it up and rode it for seven months, I think, up the coast, up to Canada, turned it round, was coming back down, went through this town of Chico, where I still live, where it dropped a valve. Well, that was like 83. And then you... BSA parts weren't easy to find, uh, and I kind of ended up liking Chico, ended up uh, moving here, uh, went back to England, but moved back here, and realized there wasn't much in the way of uh, sort of package design and that stuff that I'd been taught in Britain, but I did notice that there were a lot of farms up here, pretty well-off farmers that I got to know. And their advertising, their logos, their trucks didn't look any good. And I realized they'd lost an art of fruit crate packaging over here. Mm -hmm. Sort of a thing of the past. And I started looking at it going, well, we could paint some of this and do their own versions of it for the farmers. So I survived that way for quite a while, uh, lettering Peterbilts and pinstriping them doing the big signs, uh, logos for the nut, walnut, uh, almond companies, pistachios, oranges. And it worked out pretty well for a lot of years. Uh, well, one day I was just working away on a piece, and it was for an orange company, I think. But it was bright, you know, pretty typical of my stuff. And if you look at it, I just thought, 
this would look so much better with a Ferrari in it instead of a couple <laughs> of oranges. Yes. <laughs> and I, so I painted the next one. I think I did it as a motorcycle piece. Uh, but it, it all sort of worked out pretty well. And uh, I was doing this, I mean, unofficially, when I was a kid, when I was 15, I'd ask the boss in the studio, can I stay late? Because you're only going to sit in traffic in London anyway. And he went, yeah, sure, you can practice. And I was... Uh, working on a poster that I designed for just for myself, but it was when Triumph broke the 100-mile-an-hour lap on the Isle of Man. So I had this three-foot piece on my drawing board I'd nearly finished. And I just went out the room, and the boss came back with some clients from the ad agencies, and one of the guys looked at my drawing board and went, oh, that's nice, you got the Triumph account. And the boss went, what? We we don't have the Triumph account, and he went, "Oh no, that's that new kid that's just doing stuff for himself." And right there and then, I went, "That guy thought that was an official piece for Triumph," so yes. I sort of knew that I could pass that on. You know? Yes. Wow, that's exciting back that's, then. What time? What year was that? Oh, uh, about sixty-nine. Uh huh. Back in the sixties. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing that comes to mind as you were speaking is that way you're describing this fits your work. Because the colors, although lots of people use bright colors, your your work um, is just so vivid. How, what is the process, if if you can share, about well, getting these? That, it's think, just so wonderful when you look at it. It just takes you back. They're so bright. Yeah, I mean, I work in oils. That helps a lot. But also, I spend a lot of time uh, mixing colors, getting them just right. But before I paint anything, I spend a lot of time. I don't actually keep a record of how long I spend coming up with a design for a piece. That's all part of the fun of it. I'm usually seen riding around here on a motorcycle around the country lanes, and half the time I've got a piece going in my mind of how it could look, you know. Yes. Uh, so I'm coming up with colors all the time and the designs. Uh, so there's a lot in the balance. I was taught that color stuff in the art studio. I was taught typography. I've taught technical illustration, airbrush illustration. And it's just a lot of these things that I was taught have now come together for making these large pieces, although I've given up airbrushing stuff because the paint fumes will kill you. Uh, but And I can't work with acrylics, unfortunately. They just don't work for me. So these are big pieces that, that are pretty much uh, just large versions of my sketches, but I do put a lot of time and effort and it has to be a subject, you know, something I really like. It's why typically I don't do a lot of commissions because I like painting things that I want. <laughs> yes. Most theories, if I want it, hey, you know, I could hand it over to an auction house and someone else will want it. But uh, it's just part of the process of getting the sketch just right. Because if when you're painting at six foot, which is about as small as I do, uh, to change a piece at six foot, takes you a long time to change a piece when it's just a sketch to get it right you know on a regular sized piece of paper doesn't take you too long no. i see so, so that's just part of the process yes robert uh james was talking about the bright colors which i agree with uh, th those are nice to look at but uh it's the in motion look that you get in a lot that, of a lot most of, of them i really like that how you, you know you, yeah. you have a picture of a <laughs> ferrari know, a it's moving it's on the racetrack it's not just right sitting there. and that that's an important part of it to me to get that effect and that's you know nothing new uh a lot of the great 
automotive artists from back in the 30s were capturing that pretty easily. Uh, it's it's just part part of the process, um, you know, sort of blurring backgrounds and uh, just keeping up. I'm just looking at a couple of new pieces I've just finished for, uh, I think they're going to the Bonhams uh, Barber Motorcycle Auction uh, in October. All right, I've done an Isle of Man, Norton, and a piece I really like, which is a Moto Gilera uh, from 1957 of Liberati winning the world championship. Uh, and they've got a lot of movement, even, you know, it's just uh, something I, I think is important in the painting, because I don't do parked cars. <laughs> no, you're, there's yeah, a lot of artists out there that do, you know, Pebble Beach, and there's a, you know, the Rolls Royce parked there. I don't want to do stuff parked there. That's why I pretty much only do race cars or motorcycles. And if they're moving, even better. Who are your buyers? Is it across the board? Uh, you know or? what? I, I never find out. Well, I do. I do some commissions. I have a few really good clients uh, that have bought a lot of stuff that just have monster houses. And these six-foot, seven-foot pieces, you know, get lost in some of the rooms. Uh I've, I've done a lot of that stuff, but the other thing is I couldn't tell you who the buyers are because I work with Bonhams and I've worked with R.M. Sotheby's, and they don't want you to know. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll be torn. Um, this, yeah. Since I met you at, at the Monterey Auto Week, which of course now is, I don't know, 10 days, 11 days, yeah. um, and you had been there three or four times, and I think maybe we chatted for, I don't know, 20 minutes or something. How, is, how has that event uh, been for you and the other events that you go to? What is the... What is the market for, since you're grouped in memorabilia, have you seen any changes in how that part of the Monterey Auto Week has changed? And, and You know, I, I typically I do that one show, the Automobilia show, and there are other Automobilia shows there, but I get a fair-sized booth, I think, you know, to put eight of these paintings out on display when they're four foot wide, six, seven feet high. Uh, takes up a lot of space. Yes. And most of the booths in the retromobile and the other things, you know, they're offering a 10 by 10. Well, you can't get many of my pieces in a 10 by 10. And so I'm there for, you know, this year it's three days instead of the two. But after three days, they're on your own. Uh, it's quite a lot of work. You're meeting people all the time, um, selling selling prints. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm rather done with it all, so... I didn't get to see, you know, I don't get to Pebble Beach. I'd like to do the Concorso, but again, I can't put many paintings in a 10 by 10. Uh, after, a, and I did get to uh, deliver a piece to Bonhams at the Quail Lodge, which was an interesting painting that's coming up for auction in October at the Simeo Museum with Bonhams. And I've just recently started researching all the old Grand Prix and races that used to be up the west coast of California that most people didn't know about. But yes. once I read up on them, I'm started kind of doing these uh, big paintings of events that I missed by 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I had, I think there was one at the show, which was the Grand Prix of uh, Venice Beach. Uh, Barney Oldfield won it in a Maxwell in 1915. And they'd actually close all the roads down and have a big car race thrashing around Venice. <laughs> So I painted that, Bonham saw that and said, you kind of should do a Mercer. And so I read up and a Mercer won the Grand Prix of Santa Monica in 1915, which was 
they they closed the streets down and put a eight and a half mile racetrack around Santa Monica and run a four hundred mile car race around it. My <laughs> goodness, great! And, I you had know, no they idea. Hanging, they weren't hanging about. I mean, they're clocking the average. Well, the winners average seventy seven miles an hour. So you know those things are getting up there on the straights. Yes. Back for 1914, you know. That's, that's People lying the streets probably three feet off the curb and uh, no, there weren't any no safety, no then. nothing they, back then. You know, right? that would have been dirt and stuff. I don't think they had tarmac roads. So, I mean, an eight-and-a-half-mile course uh, would have gone up into the hills, which is sort of how I painted the piece. With, without, well, I just, go ahead. You couldn't do that these days. <laughs> no, no. no. Uh, without, no. without being too um, heavy-handed here, but the, the enthusiasm... That's how you're describing some of the, the research on these events um, comes through in your work. You know, it, obviously you yeah. have a lot of interest in it and a lot of uh, you're, you're a car and motorcycle guy. And, and um, I, I'm just going to guess now that some of the people who do these works of art maybe don't have the same. They know what they're doing as an artist, but maybe they don't have the same background. They haven't been right. on there's, a motorcycle. There's a, there's a passion there. I mean, I work on a lot of this stuff. I can appreciate the engineering skills of. You know, someone who's good, and uh, I sort of like reading about all these oddball motor races, and especially cars and motorcycles. You know, there's a good chance in line my next painting could be the Motor Guzzi of 1958. That was a eight-cylinder, 500cc motorcycle. Wow! <laughs> wow! Eight cylinder with eight carburetors. <laughs> and so I, I love that stuff. I painted the V16 BRM 1500cc. Uh, the big uh, Maserati that they put two straight eights next to each other and built a V16. I just love reading up on that stuff. And for a lot of years, I've painted, you know, things that I wanted to paint. And that's kind of why there's a passion there that shows. It shows, Luckily, other people have been able to see this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's lucky to get a lot of work out through Bonhams over the years. But I've had, I worked with, I was in a drag racing in Britain on photographing it as well. I took a lot of pretty good old black and whites back in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, so I've had stuff, I worked with the NHRA Wally Parks Museum for about four years and got to meet all my heroes when I was a kid. I didn't know because I was in England, but you know, Don Prudhomme and Don Garlitz and oh, all yeah. the big names. Big daddy, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, got to meet all those and you know Shelby and the rest, and actually paint pieces for the museum with them. Uh, they introduced me to the Peterson Museum. I did a piece in there. Uh, the Justice Brothers Museum down there bought some. I've had work here uh, in the Blackhawk, and then a while back I did the World of Speed, the new World of Speed Museum up in Portland. Uh, did the first exhibition there. And currently, uh, the paintings are available. You can go and look at stuff, and the prints are available at uh, Thunderhill Raceway. And mainly, I uh, turn over work at Wine Country Motorsports inside Sears Point or Sonoma Raceway. Yes. They've been really good at selling the prints, and they have about eight of my originals on display. Great. I wanted to interject one more time. Um, uh, Robert Carter in his website is www.robertcarterartwork, all together as one word, dot com. And, and the website just, um, I can explain it on, on the podcast. It has dozens but, of pictures on but it. But dozens of them. pictures. You can just see how, how beautiful and, and, and vibrant the uh, Robert's artwork is. And 
I guess this is a good, good time since you talked about motorcycles and BSA and so forth. Um, away from your artwork, or maybe they'll maybe it'll be an inspiration to f uh, future artwork. You're about to embark on a journey yourself. So uh, yesterday, I think when we talked on the telephone, you mentioned that you're going to be uh, in a vintage uh, uh, motorcycle event. So I don't know anything about that. Maybe you could share with us uh, what what's up with that. Yeah, that's the uh, I'm I'm involved in the Antique Motorcycle Club here uh, up in Chico. I'm vice president of the club. Well, it's only a small group of about 20 of us, but it's probably the biggest antique motorcycle group in America. Uh, we're just a small chapter. They have so many road runs a year, usually involved between 100 and 200 motorcycles, or, you know, stuff from the First World War, uh, right up to things that are 35 years old or older. Yes. And the next rally is up through uh, Monterey, which is fantastic riding down that way. Sure. So that's the next month around the 24th. And I've done quite a few. I mean, that's pretty much a local ride for me to Monterey. Yes. But uh, a few years back, I got some friends, uh, clients, friends, that just wanted to come on some rides. And I organized a ride out over to India, well, flying to India, and they still build Royal Enfields over there. So six years ago, we got four Royal Enfields and a guide on a Royal Enfield and rode for three weeks up out of Delhi, up north, uh, up over the Kadang La, which is the highest road in the world, 18,300 feet. Oh, my gosh. Up, up to the border of Tibet and the, the Chinese oh. minefields. Turn wow. left there. And turn left. Through, <laughs> yeah, don't go through the minefield. Right. Uh, and then turn left and go into Kashmir. Oh, my gosh. And then gosh. come down into Srinagar, where you don't want to be at the moment, and then back down again. Uh, fantastic ride. Just terrible roads, brilliant old single-cylinder motorcycles. And I wanted to go back and do it again a couple of years ago, so I organized another ride. Um, we went out through, I mean, it's, you know, thousands of miles, but we rode out, out of Delhi and towards Pakistan, out through the Thar Desert, through Rajasthan. And they're just all these fantastic old castles and oh, man. also car museums from the Maharajas that used to, you know, collect hundreds of cars. Uh, uh, that sounds pretty fun. What, what is that Royal Enfield? Is it is it a reproduction uh, of an older bike? The Royal Enfield uh, sold out in the 60s, and an Indian company bought the rights to it, and they pretty much copied the old bike. So it's a 500 single. They sorted out the brakes, kind of, uh, <laughs> and all the problems that were on them, and everyone, there's loads of them over in India because they produce them there. They're fairly cheap, and they're ideal for India. Just an old 500 single that gets like 75 miles to the gallon. They've now got electric starters on them and a disc brake on the front. And the Royal Enfield Company is doing pretty well. They're just importing them, uh, that and some new models into the States. But they're ideal for India because that's all you need. You know? what, <laughs> when, when you went to some of these remote places, um, there's only one way to say it. What did they make of you? I mean, you... These guys come into town, and, and did, they, did they welcome you? Were you did, did you get some you funny know looks? The or? Indian people were just so friendly, but what's good was the guy we initially hooked up with over in India that organized the bikes, he organized a backup truck for us, 
so you haven't got to carry all your gear. He organized. I said, I don't want to stay in hotels and holiday inns or anything. Yes. He organized, like, castles that are turned into bed and breakfast. Oh, great. So there's these castles that are run down with 300 rooms, and you're staying there with the family whose relatives back in the 1600s built the castle. Wow! <laughs> yeah, that's some history. I think that might might have inspired some some of your great artwork. I don't know, but it sure sounds like you, you talk about it like it's you're a you know a travel agent yourself because it's just. I know. Uh, said, they offered me the job. They said, "How do you feel about the, being the U.S. representative for us <laughs> and get people to come on a ride?" And I thought about it, and you know what? I've been all these years trained as an artist, and now I'm going to be a travel agent. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> that's that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I bailed on it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's and then a few years ago, a friend of mine, the same guys, uh, one of them said, I'm going on a ride across the Sahara. Are you interested? And I went, sure. Well, I didn't realize he's an expert enduro racer. And I'm a guy from London. We haven't got much sand there. And we ended up flying. We ended up flying down to the back of Morocco, and riding 700 miles of the the old Paris to Dakar route. Oh my gosh! I think in beat, some ways you're lucky that you're here. I know it. It beat the hell out of me. I didn't realize what I was in for. I still ache. <laughs> How many miles a day did you put in? But I just loved off-road bikes. I collect them. I have a lot. I just wasn't used to wow. standing on the pegs for seven hours a day riding them in the sand. Yes. How many miles would you go? Seven-hour oh, days. Oh, then huh? they were doing about, we were doing about 140 a day. Wow. That's, that's yeah. quite something. Paris Dakar. Hey, this is uh, It is. I went up to, uh, I went up to uh, Oregon. I bought an XR600 Honda, and I went up to Oregon and rode the Samfest to practice in the dunes and the rest of it and realize pretty much what I was in for. It's it really tough, you know. Uh, you're, you are a tough guy. I mean, you're not, uh, I only met you the one time, but you're you're not uh, 25, I know that. So it probably, no, no. <laughs> you're not 25. No, not if I start an apprenticeship in 1967. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Um, two other quick areas for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, when I was doing those stories uh, down there, I, I was asking some of the other memorabilia people. I don't know how it pertains to you or even if it does, but could you talk about uh, a little bit if you have some opinions about uh, f- fraud in the memorabilia area of, of automobiles? I talked to the Ferrari guys. I talked to some other people who said it's, it's pretty rampant um, that there are people who try to forge these things and eventually they get caught but what is your experience if any with with uh, fraudulent unfortunately i am finding that i mean people have i end up in some magazines and bonhams always when they sold my work put it into their online catalog and then unfortunately they're sort of high-res versions a lot of the time but if you want to be in the catalog that's what you have to give them and people are able to download that stuff sometimes. So even today, there's some of my Bugatti pieces that are designed. I think it says 1934 on it, just because that's when the car raced and yes. it really did. And they go, well, 1934, he's dead. Uh, we'll just copy it because it's not copyright. I see. Well, you know, that was painted like five years ago. Well, probably seven years ago. Yes. So there is a copyright on that stuff, and it appears in e- on eBay. And a lot of the times I can contact the company who's selling it and point out that 
I just painted that, and I don't want you stealing it. And most of the time, they're pretty good. Uh, but with the auction houses I work with, they do an online catalog, and they want a high-res version of it. Yes. Uh, so unfortunately, it does go out there. People copy it. If, it's, if they're trying to sell my prints on eBay, you can spend the afternoon printing papers and forms and filling in things saying it's your artwork, you have to prove it, but the fact my name's on it kind of helps. Yes. Uh, so it happens quite a bit with uh, certain images, but uh, it's like, you know, the minute people in China get hold of my work, someone said, you're history. I just wanted... Well, as, I, go ahead. Well, you know, generally, I try and keep on it. Uh, I work with a really good printers up in Chico. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Digital Print Design, and they're great. They do all my prints for me. They've helped me with this, and they get affected by it too. So they sort of tell me how to go after people that are stealing my artwork, my images. Wow. And uh, you have to keep up on it, really. You know, at the moment, there's a couple in Britain that have stolen. They've got my Bugatti piece, and they're selling really cheesy copies of it. But unfortunately, they still have my name on there. Um, yes. What a shame. It's going to take me an afternoon to go after them, send them emails, and then ignore them, you know. And it's sure, like, yeah. But well, most of the people I've been able to close down and stop them. Good, good for you. I, yeah. um, I just want to, I want to make a point that that handsome picture I took of you on my iPhone is, uh, is my copyright, so don't be, don't be spreading that around too much. <laughs> don't use it, huh? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, you, you're welcome to use it any time and any way you want. I'll just say that right, straight up. Okay, <laughs> so, thank you. I appreciate sure. that. Yeah, um. And the other area I was going to uh, touch on is away from your world um, uh, specifically, but it, it does tie into some of the auctions. When we were speaking on the phone, I'd really like to hear your opinion about the, the um, mess of the Porsche auction that happened with uh, Sotheby's and, and get your opinion on, on uh, how that transpired and, w and what you thought about that. Obviously, yeah, you're no, involved. I wasn't there. I've only seen it on the Internet as yes. well. I know so. Sotheby's can't be very happy about what went on there, but, uh, you know, when there's so much money, it's such a famous car, and there's so much money involved, it's just unfortunate that the the, you know, the auctioneer uh, possibly had an accent, and 13, 13 million sounds like 30 million. I could see that happening. Yes. But whoever was in charge of the the uh, the big TV system, yes. they should have figured that out instead of putting up a figure like $30 million. Yes. Uh, it was more of that guy's fault than the auctioneer's. But, uh, hey, I might know that guy, so I'm not saying anything. <laughs> and you, you also had, you told me on the telephone, Robert, that you had some, a little bit of nationalistic pride in terms of the guy's accent. So, um... Well, they said, he, yeah, he said he had a British accent, <laughs> yes. and then I heard he was Dutch, and he yes. sounded American to me, so I don't know. I wasn't there. Yes. Uh, but I've seen, you know, I've been with Bonhams for a lot of years doing auctions and Sotheby's, uh, Auctions America, it was Sotheby's, and, you know, things happen like that. It's just unfortunate it was in a sort of world news, but, uh, you know, at the biggest event on the planet for cars. Yes. But, uh, you know, things happen like that before, so. Sure. That portion did not sell, by the way, correct? Right, it didn't. No, it didn't. I don't think it sold, and... Uh, I'm not a Porsche guy, you know. I don't it, have one. I'm not going to have one. Uh, it's, it, it was my, Hitler's I car anyway. Motorcycle, right? I have my old motorcycle collection, so I, I'm big on bikes rather than collecting cars. What's uh, your collection include? 
Oh, a bike life? Let's yeah. see, most recent, I've been riding a, a police Harley Davidson that came out of the uh, Dublin Police Department down in the Bay Area. Fantastic. And I out for a song, and it's comfortable as hell, but people in front of you keep slowing down to 55 because <laughs> it's got all the badges and stuff on it. What is it actually Before called? That, sorry? What is it actually called? If I missed it, I'm sorry. What is it called? It's an F. FLHP, so it's the Harley Davidson 1500cc uh, highway patrol version. Wow, hmm. and he's in. And the Dublin reference was what again? I somehow I missed that it's as well. The Dublin, it came from the city of Dublin down there in the Bay Area. Oh, great, it's fantastic! Still got all the CHP badges on it. <laughs> <laughs> if you were a bad guy, you could have some fun with that. I think. Well, you probably could. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'd never get away with it with the accent. So no. But I ride a, let's see, I have a nice Ducati. The next month I'll be riding a Norton Commando in the uh, AMCA rally down in Monterey. I have a couple of Triumphs, uh, just a, you know, a real mission. A lot of old motocross bikes, like Makos and Husqvarna's and Bultarkos and all that stuff. Uh, collection of some Japanese pieces. And I, I had a pretty nice art studio until I filled it up with broken motorcycles. That's great. So well, car-wise, um, I've got my. Uh, I, I always liked in London. I I used to flash around. I had a an Austin Champ, which not many people know what it is, but it's a Rolls Royce engine Jeep, the British version, and I loved that thing. Had that for years. I had Lamb Rovers over there, the first year Lamb Rover, and then I came over here and promptly bought an International Scout because it's the same kind of thing. And yes. now I drive Jeep, so. <laughs> I have I have a few of those, a few project cars, you know. We're going to come up one day and visit you in your in your museum. That's that's great. If I, you... I'm hidden away. People can't find me. I like it that way. I I met. I bet. Well, it's it was great to meet you last week, and it's great to have a couple of conversations uh, with our guest Robert Carter. Again, www.robertcarterartwork.com. And uh, you're just a really interesting guy. So thank you for, for filling us in on your artwork. And best of luck next month in your in your rally. We really appreciate okay, it. Well, it was like fun, you, yeah. Thank you very much for having me on your show. And I'll probably see you again next year down at the uh, Automobilia Show. Sure hope so, Robert. Thanks again. Cheers. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.